Welcome to the If These Walls Could Talk podcast. I am your host, Rachel Usher. I'm an accomplished interior designer and solopreneur, having built my own design practice from nothing into an award-winning and published studio. During my own design journey, I have found the business side of interiors to be secretive and largely conducted from behind the curtain, leaving business owners like myself grappling with the unique complexities of running a design business and often having to learn many things through trial and error. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be that way. This show is designed for design professionals and together with our guests, we demystify the business of interiors. This is the place where we hear from the personal experiences of some of the most talented people that work within the design industry. From entrepreneurs to business experts, together we unravel some of those truth tales about what it really means to not only survive, but to thrive in the creative world of business. Today I will be speaking with Laurie Bolan. Laurie is the founder of Portair, an inspirational platform for interior designers and architects. Portair offers commentary on luxury design and has a curated and growing directory of high-end interior brands. Ultimately, it's designed to help simplify processes. Portair was born out of frustration by Laurie, an interior designer, due to her experience of inefficient workflows. Laurie is on a journey to help change that. Hi, Laurie. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Would you like to settle in and introduce yourself? Tell the listeners who you are. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I'm Laurie. I'm originally from Sydney, Australia, um, and I've been living in London for four and a half years now. I am an interior architect and I've worked in the industry for many years and uh, two years ago, I decided to set up my own company called Portair, and that was based off my frustrations as an interior designer, um, you know, to do with the workflow, the inefficiencies that I felt like we were all struggling with. Um, and I really passionately thought, why not try and create a business to solve one problem that I'm facing every day? Uh, but what I realized is we have lots of problems that are all interconnected, so it's not such a simple solution. But Yeah, that's kind of a small summary about me and what I'm up to. Okay, so talk us through the beginning of where your love for design and interior came from and your journey from Sydney to where we are now. Yeah, so I always loved design. I wanted to go into fashion design when I was in school. I loved it. I used to make my own clothes. I used to take pillowcases and make it into dresses and all sorts of things. And when I was in year 10 in Australia, you have to do work experience. So you've got to work for a week. And a lot of people just do something fun. But I went to work for an interior design company and they had a shop as well. And that's kind of where I decided maybe it's not fashion I want to do, it's interiors. And, you know, this is is the right path for me. Um, So I finished school, I travelled, I then enrolled for interior architecture at uni. And I just absolutely loved every part of it. I gave up my whole social life to work (laughs) for it and, you know, worked for every mark I had. Like, I was very passionate about it. And, you know, I thought I had this big, long career of working as an interior designer. My goal and aspirations was to be an associate of a massive company and everything. And in my last week of uni, I got a phone call from my family friend um, who had known me my whole life. And she said to me, 
we are renovating our house. It's a, a single level semi and we're going to knock it down and build a double story house and we'd love you to do it. And I thought, well, that's really lovely of you. Thank you. But my experience is uni, which is not necessarily practical experience. Um, let me have a think about this and get back to you. And at the time, I had a really great relationship with my tutor at uni who had her own company. So I thought to approach her and say to her, I've got this client. She wants my taste and aesthetic, but I clearly don't have the practical or technical skills. How would you feel about partnering with me? And she kindly thought, you know, why not? This is a great idea. And that basically led me to my first job as an interior designer my biggest regret was probably not getting experience when I was at uni because I thought having good marks at uni would get me a job, but mm. that's definitely not the case these days. You need experience. And how do you get experience without having experience? That's so, so I'm very true. lucky that this helped me kind of get a foot in the door. Um, it probably would have been a very big challenge otherwise. Anyways, we worked on the job and it was a success. The client was happy. Uh, my tutor who became my boss was really happy and that turned into a great job. Um, I, a couple of years later, I decided to leave. I thought I'm going to go to New York. I really want to work in America. I love the aesthetic. I kind of thought it would be a good idea to have international experiences. Australia is very far removed from the rest of the world. Um, so I, I went to New York to do a recce and I had quit my job. So I was just a doing a little bit of freelance work at the time. And by the time I came back from the New York holiday and was sorting out everything, I had quite a substantial amount of freelance work. And I had a friend who was the year above me at uni who had also quit her job and was also doing freelance work. So we thought, why don't we just kind of do it together in the same office? It's fun. It's company. We can help each other. And the next minute we had a business. We had no business name. We had no website. We had no company registered. We had absolutely nothing other than the fact that we had amazing clients who were, you know, I guess taking a leap of faith by working with us and our very little experience. Um, within the first year, I think we got over 20 jobs and we worked really hard to make sure that everyone was happy. Um, and it was amazing. It was really great. It was all, you know, private residential projects from houses to apartments in Sydney. Um, and it was all great. Uh, about a year or so later, my business partner at the time, unfortunately, well, lucky for them or sad for me, um, moved to America for her husband's work. And then I was left with the whole business, you know, on my own. And that really changed the whole dynamic for me because you know, I no longer had the opportunity to share the load with anyone. And it was probably at this moment that Portaire really kind of was born. And that was the frustration of, you know, trying to do everything, trying to do your accounts, trying to do your invoicing, trying to do the procurement, trying to do the schedules, trying to do, you know, the SketchUp and the, you know, the technical drawings and everything. And it's just not possible to do it all. Um, it's not our skill set, you know, we, we're not trained across all the fields and we don't really have the time to do it all. So I grew very frustrated with my job. I grew very frustrated with the industry and sadly I thought I was out of love with it. So I thought, you know what, now's the time I'm going to move to London. It was easy to get a visa than New York and I need this international experience. I think that, you know, change of scenery is actually a good thing for me. Uh, so I moved to London in 2019 
and I got a job with HBA for six months. I just signed a contract just to help me get my feet on the ground and then kind of work out what I wanted to do. And it was my time at HBA when I realized, wow, the issues I was having as a small studio in Sydney, I can see exist here in HBA and they're an absolutely incredible company, you know, but issues like time management, uh, revisions, communication with clients, collaboration, access to new suppliers, like all of these things we were all having the same problems with. Yeah. And it made me realize, okay, so the issues are actually global. It actually affects big, big studios and small studios. And let's create a solution for one of it. So my husband and I, one Saturday night, he is a project manager and he has an interior design company as well. So I'd say he, he's pretty familiar with the industry. Mm-hmm. And we sat there one evening with A3 paper and a bottle of wine and just started drawing out, like, what are all the things we would need as a designer to make our life easier? Like, you know, is it scheduling? Is it procurement? Is it sourcing products? And um, next thing we had basically wireframes of a website that we thought was great. Okay. We probably had too many ideas at the time um, and got too excited that... I thought, okay, maybe we have a business. Maybe this is something we should work on. And we decided not to work on it together because we wanted to stay married. Yeah. (laughs) Good planning. (laughs) Yeah. We thought, let's just stay married. So let's not do it together. You can help me, but we've got to separate things. Um, And I started working on it. And then I went back to Sydney on holidays and COVID hit. So I very much put it on hold. Um, Went back to interior design at the time because it was booming the industry. Everyone was redoing their houses. So it was, you know. You were in Australia working again? Yeah. Yeah. I got stuck there for eight months. I wasn't allowed to leave the country. So it was, you know, I I had a network there. People knew me because of my past. So I thought I might as well just do this. It's, you know, a good option. And then I came back to London finally and I... I'd met my business partner, Matteo, the night before I flew to Australia eight months before. In London? In London, yes. And I thought he was a tech guy. That was the only bit of information I kind of gathered from the dinner. Um, so I reached out to him and I said, I know you're a tech guy. I'm looking for someone to just build an MVP for me. What's an MVP? Oh, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's a minimum viable product. So it's basically what is the most basic version of your business that you need to set up? to either get investment or to, you know, get people to use the platform. Okay. Okay. Um, so it, it's usually, it's no frills. It's the absolute basic, basic, basic version of your business, um, which is hard because when your design and detail is your business, it's hard to kind of think, okay, let's just think of the skeleton frame. Um so I met, I said, would you be happy to meet with me? I just want to pick your brain. And he said, yeah, sure. So I met him. I had my wireframes of like what each page needed to look like and what a schedule needed to look like and, you know, what a mood board needed to do. Um, and he was like, oh, this is amazing. Let me have a think about it and get back to you. And I thought he was going to introduce me to someone to build it because I, I thought he was a tech guy. I didn't really know what he did. And he came back to me and said, I actually want to be involved in this. I'm a product designer and I think it's a great idea. I love design. I'll build it for you. 
So you met Matteo at a dinner. He's also Australian, and I okay. didn't know him in Australia, which is weak because Sydney's very small. <laughs> um, but we had a mutual friend. Okay. So we both happened to be at this mutual friend for dinner and got talking, and he did tech, I did design. Oh, uh, I see. Kind of, chance, yeah. A chance meeting then, I guess. Exactly. I actually know his wife. I knew his wife. I just didn't know him. Oh, okay. So I maybe would have got him eventually, but yeah. So you've reached out to Matteo to say, can you build me a, a web platform to help simplify your business, your interior design business? Did you at that time envisage scaling that and how far that would go? What was your vision then? My vision then was probably too many visions, if I'm completely honest. I think I was so excited by everything that I wanted to build everything mm -hmm. from a marketplace to a directory to a software to a resell yeah. of old products. Like it was every possible idea you can imagine. Yeah. And having spoken very initially with investors at the time without an MVP, they kind of guided me to say, just start with one simple thing yes. and build from there. Yeah. And which piece did you think was the bit to start with? So we started with the directory. Um, so Portez started as a curated directory for luxury interior architectural products. Um, and the concept was to be, you know, net a porter for interior architectural products. So make tiles and tapware sexy. <laughs> um, you know, furniture's accessible. It's almost so saturated. There's too many places to go and find a beautiful sofa. Yes. Um, but if you were looking to find a new tap and you're working on, like when I was working at HBA, you know, millions of pound apartments, are you going to feel comfortable using a new supplier that you have nowhere to vet? Yeah. You know, so, you know, I was new to the country. I had no idea how to find these new brands. And I was typing into Google, brass door handle luxury and you can imagine it wasn't the amazing brands that I wanted and I yeah. thought how do I find them I know they exist but there's just no place that I can find them because you know Instagram and Pinterest and Google like no one's really vetting them mm. so uh, for a designer how are you going to feel comfortable finding those new brands and I understand that working as a designer in my own business I understand the difficulty of finding that niche product, but also understanding its provenance and, and also its availability. Yeah. And your international experience, having worked, you know, in Australia and in the States, you'll understand that also one of the things that the UK has been grappling with is Brexit and That's the huge challenges that that has presented our procurement processes. Is that something yeah. that you considered when you were curating your library, if you like? Um, so at the time, Brexit hadn't come in to play, uh, so the industry was much simpler. Mm -hmm. Now that we will be looking to do procurement, uh, it's a lot more complicated than what it would have had to have been yeah. some years back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you started Porter as um, a resource, a net a porter for access to curated brands for interior designers and architects. How did you initially identify those brands? If you saying, well, it was really hard to qualify people when I was working interiors, how did you do that now you're wanting to put them on your platform? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a lot of research, speaking to a lot of designers, because I think 
the issue is every supplier is going to tell you they're amazing. Mm-hmm. The designer is going to tell you if they had a really good or bad experience. That's true. Um, so I spend a lot of time speaking to designers, you know, from HVA, seeing who they use, my husband's company, uh, Albion Nord, to see who they used. Um, so I just, you know, did a little bit of research and digging into the brands. And initially, we just scraped the supplies websites. We didn't we didn't necessarily have permission. Mm. Um, so it was like, a, you know, additional content for them, really. But uh, Matteo built the website himself, so it didn't cost us anything. We just found a whole bunch of beautiful supplies, put their products on our website. And that was kind of our MVP, our test to see, you know, will designers come onto this platform to try and find new products? Mm-hmm. And then starting with a scrape to get a couple of brands on there, will suppliers join the platform mm. because all suppliers sell very individually. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't have aggregated platforms like they do for furniture and fashion when it comes to, you know, ironmongering tiles and sanitary where they all kind of sell in their division. Yeah. So it was an experiment and it started as a marketplace. Um, we wanted to sell the products and I thought that that was definitely the right option. And after speaking to numerous suppliers, I realised that, that's definitely not the right option. Okay. That's not how they want to work. Um, but I still felt like maybe it's the right decision. Maybe it's a marketplace. And I actually raised our first bit of money uh, with investors on the idea of a marketplace. And it was only after speaking to more and more suppliers who said, you know, we're happy to list it on your platform as a directory. We don't want to sell did we have to change the business model? So that was a bit of a tough call, calling the investors to say, look, you've invested in this idea and it's actually not that idea anymore. We're going to change it. Okay. Um, but they all came around to it and supported us, which was really lucky. So you moved from a marketplace to a directory. And how does that benefit Portera as a company then? You know, how do you make revenue from that? So now it's a subscription platform. So suppliers pay us annually to list their products on the platform. I see, yeah. Um, and with the software, which we now have for designers, the designers will be paying us to use the software, but the directory for the design is always free. So a designer can always come on Portair and find beautiful products and speak to suppliers. Whether they want to do a schedule and a mood board on Portair, optional, and they only have to pay for it then. Otherwise, they can enjoy it like a net porter So the journey of Portair has moved from a platform along the lines of a net porter of a directory of products to something that's more integral to a designer's workflow. Um, yes. Do you want to take me through that journey and those building blocks and how you've developed? Yes, uh, still still working it out. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Through a startup, they said it'd be, it would be fun and easy. No, it is fun, but it's not easy. Um, so, like I said, design is also interconnected, and my idea to solve one problem is not enough. Um, you really need to kind of do more for a designer. So, the directory was, I guess, the best place to start. Um, and also like the sexiest place to start. You okay. know, you've got beautiful products, you've got, you know, amazing brands. Like it's definitely the more eye-catching side of things that can bring people in. Um, it's taken us two years to get to a place now where, you know, suppliers are joining us and happy and 
I don't have to convince them that they need to be online. Mm-hmm. I think COVID really helped us for that. But, you know, I did spend two years convincing suppliers, you know, you should be online, designers are online. Um, I also, we didn't have a product 100% built. Mm-hmm. And I had to convince the supplier to pay us up front for a year for a platform that wasn't built and we had no case studies of designers on there. That's quite a negotiating strategy. How did you manage to persuade them? Um, Still not sure. (laughs) Still not sure. Um, But we did get some supplies signing up based on that. And I think that was quite reassuring to know, okay, well, if we can get supplies joining to something that doesn't really exist and there's no case studies, when it does exist and there are case studies, then, you know, it should be an easier sale. But for two years in sales, which is my job, uh, selling the product to suppliers, it, it has been challenging. Okay. And where do you see this going as an all-round platform then that designers and architects can use? What is it now and what do you think it's going to become? Yeah, so right now it's a directory mm. um, and we've got automatic scheduling. So you can see a product, you can get in touch with the supplier, you can get samples, and in two clicks you can integrate a product into your workflow like of its schedule, which is great because Excel is definitely not the, the best option for us. Um, we'll also be doing mood boarding very shortly. So you can do your mood boards and it means you can find inspiration images and click add to mood board or add to schedule. And that whole process is now connected instead of moving things offline and going from one platform to another. Mm-hmm. Um, so mood boarding will be next and then we will look into procurement. Brexit has definitely made it more complicated <laughs> for us. Definitely. Um, but it's obviously something that the designers are looking for. So it will be a very comprehensive software where designers can come on. Okay. So and do an entire project. Okay, so the procurement element then, I'm interested in in that piece. So designers typically have their own trade accounts with various suppliers. I'm making an assumption here, but is it the case that a designer will procure a product via Portair and not quite achieve their same margin that they might have? Um, Is there an offset there that they achieve or is that not how it's going to be? (laughs) It's just... A procurement software they won't buy through us so they will oh, maintain okay. yeah so it's just a place where they can do you know this has been ordered this has been tracked this is how much it is you know it, it's a place where they can connect to their zero and everything so they can manage all their procurement mm-hmm. but we aren't selling products on the platform at the moment okay um that could change if that's what everyone asks for in the future um, never say never, but right now it's not what we're focusing on. So you mentioned zero. I'm going to hone in on that particular point. Are you hoping that the platform will integrate with things like zero and QuickBooks and those accounting softwares that exactly. many people use? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That That's really interesting. Um, and in relation to the product and how it stands in the market against other um, products that are out there. What do you define as its particular point of difference? That's a good question. We get asked that a lot. Um, So we are a product management software. So our focus is around product. So helping you find the best products, helping you get samples of it, helping you integrate products into your designs, helping you procure your products. Uh, We are not a project management web 
platform, which I know there's quite a few that exist where, where it's about media minutes and time tracker and stuff like that. Um, so we're a product management software. I think the directory is something very unique because no one's really touched on doing you know, something highly curated and luxury with all the different categories in one place. And that's been something that designers have been really excited to be a part of. So I'd say the directory and the focus on the product management and how designers work with product is really the core. Okay. And scheduling in relation to how... Don't miss doing them. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, I still do. the joys so in relation to preparing a schedule and issuing that to a main contractor or a client what's the end product what does that look like for the recipient you can on portair you can share schedule the, one of the issues with designers is if we work on excel you can't have two designers working on the same file mm-hmm. unless it's on like a, a google sheet mm-hmm. and the issue is you know now everyone's working three two for example collaboration is actually more important than ever um so on our schedule you can on our websites on the schedules you can share that with people and it's live so you could have two people working on something at the same time and it's not going to you know cause any issues um you can export schedules into a CSV file if you wanted to share with a contractor or a PDF. Um, and we will also look into being able to invite clients in and mm. they can have like their account and write their comments and everything. So collaboration is very important. And that's where I think a lot of projects go wrong. And I do think that that client insight is a really important process, certainly on a large project that may be 18 months, two years in the making. Yeah. It, there is decision fatigue inevitably and clients make so many decisions and then when the tile ends up in their bathroom and they go this isn't the tile you know they have that moment of self-doubt and unless you have very robust um, systems in place those moments can catch you out Um, absolutely so will there be an opportunity for clients to kind of stamp uh, approval for things absolutely that's very important Um, I think most jobs have these issues with clients um, and so many things have changed. It's very Mm -hmm. hard to keep track of it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, when, when I worked, I would have a client tell me something and then they would go and tell the contractor something and then it didn't necessarily cross both of us. So things would be missed. Yeah. Um, So I think you need a single source of truth for everything that everyone knows what's going on. Because I think there is way too many lines of communication. I completely agree. (laughs) Um, We have clients that want to communicate on WhatsApp and email and we use Basecamp and trying to remember where that conversation happened. Um, Exactly. And then it's quite the art thing with the contractor and telling the contractor, you know, no, we want the tap height actually now at 1400, not 1300, but no one told you. It's a mess. Okay. So as a British designer, I have many times explored platforms that are designed for international markets. And I've always found that they don't always translate very well. You know, sometimes the tax systems are, you know, they don't apply to carriage charges and the strange things in different, um, different countries. How will Portair approach the global market or is it primarily aimed at the British market? So at the moment, we are primarily aimed at the British market. We do have some international brands joining in Europe and America. 
But in terms of dealing with tax and the designers in that those regions, I'm of the belief get one thing done really well. So get this region to a place that it's amazing and then start tackling the other regions. I think if you try spread yourself too fine, perhaps nothing's actually been done properly. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I would say while we might have international brands, we are very much focused on just making the user experience for the UK market as good as possible. Okay. So you've done quite a lot in your career. You've worked in Sydney, you've worked in New York, and you found yourself in in London by choice, by the sounds of it. How do you feel that the UK design industry compares to some of those other other countries? And you're smiling. Uh, (laughs) For those that can't see. (laughs) Well, we had a chat about this the other day. I think we can all learn a lot about how Americans do business. I think not even just in the design world. I think in general, Americans are very open to uh, networking and meeting you and trying new businesses um, and connecting. Um, yeah. I really think we can all learn from, from the Americans. I think that they're absolutely brilliant at that. And it's not, it's not limited to the design world. It's, it's all fields. I would say we could all learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. We could all be a little bit more open to the idea of networking and supporting each other. Australia is a very small market, so it's, you know, I do think there there is, you know, a bit more support. It's very small, so it, it's not as competitive in a way. The British market, it's hard because it's there's so many people and it's so competitive and it's so international. So, yeah. So you'll know that I have um, an enormous amount of praise for my American colleagues and actually being really honest about it, it's my experience with um, American colleagues that has led me to do this podcast and open up the conversation here in the UK because my experience is that the industry here is quite secretive and we're all quite insular and kind of looking after ourselves. The whole point is to get this out there, say it. You yeah. know, yeah. if you've ever run your own design company, whether that be architecture or interiors, because architects tell me the same, the chances are you found yourself in a moment of absolute isolation thinking, what the hell would they do right now in this situation? And the point is to try and open up the conversation and build a community and the narrative and share more. How have you found trying to build a belief in something and build up this conversation around your new product, Portair. How have you found that here in the UK? So if I'm completely honest, we actually, well, I didn't think it was a great idea, but we set up a community for Portair and we thought, you know, exactly what you're saying, where are designers, how do we get them together, how can they support each other, you know, how can they learn from each other, etc. So we set up a community and I, I did think it was going to fail and I sadly was correct. <sighs> um, <laughs> we didn't have that much interest and it could be a case of the fact that we set up a community before we had a product. I think it's you need to have a product first and then a community around it. Um, but it did definitely indicate that it is quite a cold industry Um, And people aren't open to networking and joining communities and supporting and helping each other. Um, 
I don't know if I, I will set up another community again. I think I'm scarred. I think I'm just done with that. But I do think it's lacking in the market. I think it's a great, you know, it's something that would be amazing and particularly for the younger generation. Definitely. You know, they're the ones who are missing out and they're the ones who are p- potential. They're the ones who really would benefit from a net, from like a community and who would be more open to it but I haven't really found that many forums or places for them. That's correct. And there aren't, there aren't very many. And again, that comes back down to one of the reasons why I'm here having this conversation, because I am in a number of communities, all of them international. And I see British designers go on there and ask a question that is a great question and they get so much help, but it's, help that's not quite transferable so it might tell them about a building code in a different country that really doesn't apply to where they're working and so I do feel that there are designers out there who are craving to have the conversation but they don't know where to find it and I do also think that some of this is about the time and the context so my first podcast with Vanessa Brady who is one of the ambassadors in the industry she spoke really candidly about how hard it was because she was doing this in the 80s, you know, and how things are changing. And hopefully with a younger, um, more connected and digitally aware um, generation of designers coming through, they will seek these platforms and this sense of community and try and think with a more of an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset, which I do think is what dominates our culture a little bit I was yeah I was gonna say and I, I'm I don't know if it's necessarily just our industry that feel this way I think in general that's how I have seen Brits kind of maneuver business I look at all the suppliers I'm working with and it feels very siloed in the way they work as well um and i I'm gonna go back to America if you look at how the Americans work it's not like that at all no. so it's a generational change in mindset um, and it's also given them access to resources to help them and support them change. But yeah, it's not just interior design, really. That's, I think, quite cold. Well, hopefully <laughs> P- people like us will change it. <laughs> I hope nothing more. I'm scarred by my, by my significant failed experience, but... It will happen one day. It's just working out, I guess, who's going to do it properly that speaks to them. Yeah, yeah. So are you still working as a designer alongside trying to build Portair? I am not. Um, I wish I was because I really miss designing. Um, But I also have a two-year-old baby girl um, and another one on the way. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So two kids in a startup is more than enough. I can well imagine. And your husband, he's still working in interior design. Exactly. And I think when I hear him talk about about it, I'm like, oh, do I miss it? I'm not sure yet. I think I do. And I think I'll go back to design maybe one day in the future. Um, but there's a lot I want to achieve with Portair. And it's, yeah, that's the focus. Yeah. Okay. So out of all of the places, aside from the fact that you're married here in London with um, a growing family, of all of the places where you've worked, because you've got this amazing insight into these other cities and different approaches to design, from a design and creative point of view, which one of those places 
inspires you the most? They're very different. So, you know, if we look at London, there's a lot of heritage mm-hmm. and culture, and which is amazing, but also then at the same time very restricting to what you can do. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You don't see that many, like, knockdown rebuilds here. No. <laughs> In Australia, you can knock down and rebuild pretty much everything because yeah. there's very few heritage listed. So from a creative perspective, you have a lot of, you know, freedom and flexibility, which is amazing. And the design that's coming out there is amazing. Um, it's a very different climate and, you know, like it's it, it's very different in a way. Um, it's a lot more modern because they obviously don't have that much history and everything, which is beautiful. Um, and New York is dynamic, mm. you know, New York is dynamic. They're really happy to take risks. Yeah. I think that that's what they do really well in design is they take risks and they're confident with it, mm-hmm. um, more than Australia and the UK. So they're all good. <laughs> I think your journey is, is really, really rich and it's quite incredible to think that you've taken something and you've really gone I'm I'm going to create and build something from zero and make something that doesn't already exist if you could go back to you know your younger self when you were just leaving university what what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now go get a job while you're at uni Mm. yeah (laughs) true Um, go get a job while you're at uni I don't know if any firm even looked at anyone's marks it wasn't even a consideration I think and I speak to more and more, you know, younger designers and they're all struggling with how do you get your foot in the door and no one will hire without experience, but how do you get experience? I think the, the thing I would have done, even if it's just like a, an internship over the break or something, I would work while I was at uni. Yeah, I think that's probably the key thing that was really overwhelming. And also I think being really, just being open to things. I think we all get really fixated as I said, I really wanted to be, you know, an associate of a very large company. And like, that was my only path. I think I've had to learn to, I guess, almost like relinquish control and be a bit open to things. And I think that's actually when the amazing opportunities come up. So in the context of where you've settled and what you're looking at, apart from the fact that you're trying to build a platform, what else would you change and why? what we're trying to do is just digitize it. And I think that's one of the key things that just really needs to happen. Um, It's not a case of if it's going to happen anymore. It's a case of when um, and who's going to do it, that it speaks to designers. But really, I think for me, my passion is just making designers' lives easier. And I think that is through digitization. The fact that we are working offline is just absolutely it's crazy. So that would be the one thing I really hope changes. And hopefully I'm a part of it. And if I'm not, that's okay. But I just want it to change. Yeah. And what's next, apart from having a baby? <laughs> <laughs> um, continue building a product that designers love. Hopefully open out into other geographies, you know, add more features that the designers want. Um, and just stay laser focused on who our customer is and how we can really give them the best experience. And is there a way in which designers can do that with you? Do you have some kind of feedback system or do you have groups? Yeah. What, what do you we do? We do. So we actually, on the website, there's like a little icon in the, 
on the one side and you can kind of uh, suggest what features you want to see next and then there's like a poll and people can vote. So we wanted that was kind of the community thing. We wanted to kind of make it in a way that people can see what other people are suggesting and what we, I think people are drawn to where people are, what people commenting and want to get involved that way. Otherwise, they don't want to send necessarily an email themselves. So that's been really good. And Matteo has actually, he does onboarding calls with a lot of the designers. So he spends, you know, half an hour with them just to help them set up and ask them what they want. And we're a human brand. We're not a software. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing the journey of Portair that I feel is still a growing and evolving platform. It'll be really interesting to see where Portair goes. I think you know that many of the designers in the UK use a particular system that is not cloud-based, that I won't name. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think it's a huge step forward for um, for the UK market to have a system that's specifically designed for British designers and the complexities of our procurement and some of the issues that we face uniquely. So I'm yeah. very, very interested to see where it goes next. Thank you. I'm also very interested too. <laughs> <laughs> bet you are. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for your time. It was Thank lovely you. to be on and speak to you. Thank you. Laurie's international experience has undoubtedly shaped her view on how things are done. And despite differences in how one country may operate compared to another, she has distilled that into one simple and similar set of problems. Establishing something like Portair is bold. It requires speed, clarity, funding. And while Portair still remains young, it also remains agile and something which can be shaped by the end user. You can tell when listening to Laurie that she has a creative mind Her self-confessed inability to take things slow and not do all of the things all at once has required some taming. But her intention to create a single source of truth is something that we can all relate to. And if she can create one platform that achieves that, I think we're listening. Thank you for joining me. I have loved having you here with me on the If These Walls Could Talk podcast. If you are a designer and would like to hear more conversations from other design professionals, from the kind of people who at one time or another have been right where you are, then I do hope you will follow the show and listen again in two weeks' time. I'll be right here, wherever you would usually find your podcasts. Just search for If These Walls Could Talk by the Business of Interiors. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, talk about sponsoring the show or work with me, please reach me at hello at thebusinessofinteriors.co.uk. Finally, it means a lot to the success of this show if you could follow, leave a review and share this program amongst your design community. This show is sponsored by Rachel Usher Interior Design. Thank you so much for joining me.